You're listening to a podcast from www.aussiewriters.com.au where we celebrate talented Australian writers and their books. Welcome, welcome to our wonderful writers, our professional writers, and especially today I'd like to welcome our emerging writers, because today I have a treat for you. I'm about to interview uh, an emerging writer who has an enormous amount of talent, and I want it here on the record to say I was the first (laughs) to say that he is going to be a bestseller. So you've got it from me. This is the scoop. Welcome, Chris Elliott. Thank you. (laughs) Some good kudos there. I don't know where it's deserved, but... It's a lot, a lot to live up to, but that's okay. It's all coming to you. So basically, um, Chris uh, sent me a, a manuscript that I looked at, and basically, I was blown away. That's that's the situation. We'll talk about that manuscript in a little while, but I want to talk about Chris's penchant for writing from a very early age, and how he came to write this book. So, Chris. Start off with your schooling, uh, primary school, secondary school. When did you get that passion for writing? I guess I've always been kind of interested in writing ever since I was a young kid. So I'm 25 now, but at least since I was five, I was kind of writing stories. Um, probably wrote my first novel uh, when I was about 10. Yeah, Where is of, that novel now? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. It, it, you know, I wrote it on a computer because I, I always did all my writing on a computer. So there could be a file locked away on some strange hard drive. One but, day you might find yeah, it. Yeah, I might find it and, you know, reinvigorate it. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I continued through high school and always, I mean, English was always my kind of favourite subject. So creative writing was really good. And, yeah, so just continued writing lots of novels and short stories as a teenager and did they all have a certain theme yeah so generally my my themes were kind of military fiction or kind of action adventure novels um appealing to kind of younger younger male and even teen audiences in some situations but particularly when i was in high school and kind of maturing a little bit more i guess I, i focused on a lot of uh themes surrounding you know, war and uh, soldiering ideas and mm. and uh, story concepts that appeal to kind of younger you, male audiences. Do you think the media had a lot to do with that and films that you'd seen or was there a military background in your family perhaps? Yeah, there was a military background. So I had uh, both my grandfathers served in uh, World War Two. My dad's Canadian, so my, my Canadian grandfather was in the Canadian Army and then my Canadian, my Australian grandfather was in the Australian Army. Um, so they deployed to different theatres there. And I had a brother-in-law that was in the army. So I definitely have kind of, it's military and, you know, these themes of war and stuff kind of always been in the background. Definitely as a kid, you know, surrounding yourself with all the media, movies and books, definitely. Are there films that stand out in your memory that you saw many, many years ago, you know? Yeah, uh, probably my favourite one as a, as a kid was the Bourne series. Right. Yeah, with Matt Damon. So, yeah, I, you know, just kind of, exp- yeah, lots of the kind of spy fiction I really enjoyed reading as yeah. a kid. Cl- yeah, all the kind of classic ones. Robert Ludlum, Tom Clancy, 
The Da Vinci Code, did you like that? Yeah, I think I, I was a little bit, I think that came out in my first, last year of high school, so I read it, but yeah. yeah, I mean, that was definitely, I wouldn't say it was uh, influential. What um, would have been the most influential, the born? On, yeah. on my writing as it is now, or on my writing as I was a teenager? Probably. As a teenager. Yeah, probably Tom Clancy and Robert Ludlum were my favourites. So right. I, I went through all the born books and. You know, all those kinds of yeah. action. And what are you reading now? What, what's the latest thing that you read that was really good? Um, you remember? Well, I guess if the themes of my writing have been kind of shaped by these kind of war and action novels, um, the majority of my writing today is probably in, um, influenced by some of the classic authors. So, you know, right. Tolstoy, Hemingway, probably those two. Wonderful. More than anyone else, Conrad as well. I just read The Old Man in the Sea again. Yep. Wow, that guy could write. Yep. Yeah, classic. I think, uh, I think, on the whole, uh, his book For Whom the Bell Tolls is probably my favourite. The best. Yeah, probably my favourite novel actually. Hands wow, down, yeah, that's amazing. Um, so uh, you did very well at English at school, and you were identified by many teachers. I've heard as being quite talented, a talented writer. Um, that must have helped your confidence, I would imagine, to keep on going. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. it's always nice to get... Well, it's, it's nice feedback. to get feedback in general, um, yeah. let alone positive feedback. And, and, and your peers also recognised you as one of the best writers. Um, yeah, possibly. I, yeah. I heard from a peer <laughs> of yours, who shall yeah. remain nameless, who said that you were just always the most brilliant writer. So there you go. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you know kudos. after the interview who it was. Um, I, was. I was quite lucky as well because I had kind of writing in my family as well. So my uncle, right. my uncle yeah. Vaughan Elliott, is probably one of the bigger Canadian kind of writer comedians. Mm-hmm. So he was on the CBC for a long time, and he's a, com- a comedian, a, a comic writer. Yeah, so he kind of had. I guess he'd be the equivalent of. Uh, well, he, he basically had his own comedy hour slot. On, on the CBC oh, for like twenty or thirty years, yeah, Australia. yeah, and then he and then he kind of did dabble into television for a bit, so it was kind of a kind of chaser equivalent. Right. But these days, in the last kind of ten years, he switched to playwriting and novel writing, and he's always been a writer. I mean, I, I ask him, he says, I always consider myself first and foremost a writer. But yeah. It's basically, comedy is just being an artist with words. So yeah, um, yeah. I had lots of good feedback from him. Definitely right. ran my latest manuscript through him as well, and. Wonderful. So, yeah, it's definitely in the family. All right. So we're getting to your latest manuscript now. You sent it to me and I was blown away. Um, I was blown away because, first of all, the quality of the writing is really high and um, you maintain tension throughout the book, which is a very important thing to note for emerging writers is that you need to make that reader of yours turn the page. Mm-hmm. And... Um, the second thing that was really, really um, poignant for me was that it's on a topic that we all want to know more about, and that's about the wars in the Middle East and, and, and where Australia's committed to certain um, certain places of, um, of uh, terrible horror. Um, more importantly than all of that is the fact that you are weaving a story from two opposing forces, one which in our terms, in our media, is the evil and the good, (laughs) but you put a human face on it, a human perspective 
in that not all men are evil and not all men are good. There are lots of greys and there are lots of reasons why people do things. So let's talk about this novel, which is called... Mujahid. Mujahid. Mm-hmm. Uh, does that have a certain meaning that we need yeah. to know about? Yeah, for sure. So Mujahid is uh, an Arabic word which means one who struggles. Right. So uh, the word jihad, which everyone has probably heard of from the media in the West, uh, means struggle in Arabic. So Mujahid is the person that undertakes jihad. Right. Uh, and in Arabic, uh, common, the plural of Mujahid is Mujahideen. So that's a fairly common usually used phrase to describe people, for example, the Mujahideen in Afghanistan during the 80s. Um, yeah, so basically holy warriors. Um, and yeah, so Mujahid is the name of the title. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and um, I'll ask you how you came up with the idea in a minute, but we need to fill in a little bit of history there since school. You actually served in the military. So I'd like to know a little bit about your service in the military, if you could. Yeah, yeah. so joined the Australian Army, um, served in a number of different infantry roles. First of all, I served as a rifleman. Uh, so yeah, just lots of training, the standard soldiering, uh, running around the bush with a pack, shooting lots of blank rounds, wasting the government's money, all that good stuff. And, uh, and then afterwards I moved on to serve as a regional force surveillance patrolman, which is, uh, with a unit in the far north of Australia, which is predominantly Aboriginal. Uh, and basically the role of that unit is border security operations. So reconnaissance and surveillance patrols along the kind of our area of operations was focused around Cape York. So basically mm-hmm. patrolling Australia's far northern borders mm-hmm. um, and the Indigenous aspect of, it, of the unit is to kind of use local knowledge, um, recruit locally so that the unit has that kind of ears to the ground, eyes and ears of the north kind of feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so... And then in and amongst all this, I was also doing studies at university. So I did a, um, I studied foreign languages. I studied French and Arabic. Mm-hmm. Um, French because I've got family background in it and Arabic because I always kind of knew at university that it was a topical language as far as kind of international geopolitics goes. So kind of culminated in studying Arabic in Syria for a couple of months. And then after that, I did a lot of travel around Middle East, mm-hmm. uh, so been to most of the Middle Eastern countries except Iraq. Iraq is one, but been to basically every other one there is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then yeah, okay. So so having that military background, um, you went in no doubt with um, a lot of um, that innocent. Um, <laughs> what shall we call it? Um, the, the the will to do to make a big difference and to you know definitely yeah contribute you know yeah, yeah. people go into the army because they they want to serve and that it is that service element. Um, can you tell me whether there was some disillusionment as as, as perhaps <laughs> there might have been? I mean, I I look back on my military service now as being uh, a positive contributing factor to who I am today. Um, but it's you know it's like any job. You go into a job having expectations about what it is and if you go in with high expectations or two, perhaps what is expectations which are too high, um, then you can get disappointed. 
Yeah. And definitely as a kid, you know, I'm kind of writing all these military novels and you have this kind of perception about... It's a romantic How perception. things are. Exactly, yeah. yeah. That's and, fine. I mean, generally the whole idea of military adventurism is something that appeals to young boys. So when you kind of enter the environment and realise what it is and how it's different to what you might have yeah. originally thought it would be, you can get disappointed, but... At the same time, there's a lot of positive things that the military You learned a lot from the military. 100%, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, it was an ideal training ground for this novel that we've written. Yeah, I mean... So, tell me about what gave you the idea to write this novel. Yeah, so um, the main inspiration for this novel was, so in 2015, in March and in April, uh, two Australian, two young Australians went to Syria, um, which, as many of us will be aware of is currently in pretty major state of conflict at the moment and they joined a Kurdish nationalist militia um, these were people you knew yeah so there's two Australians so one of them I did know uh, and one of them I didn't know mm-hmm. so they joined a Kurdish nationalist militia and they both ended up dying uh, fighting against the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria or ISIS as we're currently calling them and yeah, so they both they both went to this country, um, adopted a non daguerre Haval Bagak al Australi, which they both seem to adopt in the media, which is interesting. Um, and one of them, yeah, I did know um, through my service in the military. So mm. for four years, I was in yeah a rifle company with him. Uh, so yeah, Ash Johnston. And so I suppose his name was his name was Ash Johnston. Yeah. Yes, and yeah, then and there were. Lots of uh, media reports about yeah. when he died. And I guess that must have affected you in, in quite some Yeah, some definitely. Measure. I mean, I basically, I was living in Canada at the time. I was actually living in Uncle Lorne, the author's house. Mm-hmm. So kind of, it was quite a shock just to read about uh, the death of a friend on the news. Mm. And just when I was kind of networking with all the all, all the other soldiers that, that had known Ash, um, mm. There was definitely a sense that we had to kind of reclaim the narrative about what was being said about Ash. So, um, you know, there was all the classic, like, Australian mercenary goes to Kurdistan, which, you know, wasn't true, first of all, because he wasn't being paid. He was an unpaid volunteer. Um, And I also just wanted it to basically just set the record straight about who I thought Ash was um, and try and kind of understand from a kind of anthropological perspective uh, what had kind of driven him to go to Kurdistan mm. and die? Yeah, so it was quite. So basically, quite a what moving up, experience. Yeah, definitely a moving experience. I mean, as as any death is. So basically, mm. what I did is I had a blog which I was using to kind of publish travel and opinion pieces, and I was studying anthropology um, before moving to Canada. So I was kind of mm. it was a bit of a kind of meeting melting pot for all my different kind of writing ideas. So I wrote, a, I wrote basically an obituary to Ash, and that was published by the ABC, um, basically kind of exploring uh, why Ash had, or why, I mean, I shouldn't kind of uh, project on Ash the re- what I think was the reasons for, but trying to put myself in his shoes and understand why I think he might have gone there uh, without kind of saying categorically this is the reason why and just trying to figure out why. Uh, so basically... Yeah, I came, I came down to... So Ash had kind of, like me, um, we had deployed with the military, but we'd never deployed on warlike operations. So there was kind of this idea that perhaps Ash was seeking, 
you know, a struggle which the military hadn't been able to give him. Mm. So from which we get the name of the novel Mujahid, which means one who struggles. Mm. And it's a beautiful, beautiful story. Well, it's a, it's a tough story. I can't say the story's mm. beautiful. But what I'm saying is that the way you um, create these characters, they're very three-dimensional characters. And I think... You used, I don't know if you studied psychology at school. I studied anthropology. Right. So there is, that comes through that you have this this innate, um, aided by study, uh, (laughs) (laughs) understanding of of human motivation and human Mm -hmm. uh, relationships. And, and, you know, it's a credible story in terms of, obviously, it's fiction. You it's, know, yeah. tainted, tainted with a bit of fact that you know. Um, but what it does is it, it brings together these two stories from opposing forces and um, we all struggle to understand the humanity of it all or the lack of humanity, if you like, with war. And mm-hmm. I think this is the, the strength of the novel. So how did you, how did you decide the form that the novel was going to take. How did you decide that it was going to be the story of two opposing forces? Well, um, just tying back to what I'd written in the ABC about uh, Ash being potentially driven by this idea of the struggle, it did occur to me having studied Arabic and I was kind of reminded that the word jihad literally means struggle. So in general, what I was trying to get across... And often in media they, they... Portray jihad as as suicide. Yeah, and well, it's not all suicide. Or, or holy is war is what they typically yeah, call it. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think it. I think it's kind of deeper than that. And I think what and ISIS has had plenty of foreign fighters as well. So this kind of foreign fighter phenomenon of people basically, you know, being magnetized towards these areas of immense violence is probably while it's kind of awful to kind of realize that there are people that would actively go out and seek war there's probably a kind of deep anthropological truth there and i think the reality is that for a lot of young men in today's world um they're kind of they don't have you know that like the kind of mediocrity of of life in the west or life in you know wherever they are mm-hmm. is is not enough and they're probably seeking something it's kind Truth of that seekers. whole well, yeah, it's thrill seekers, but but it's also kind of it's more to it than that. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Ash was a thrill seeker, so to speak, um, but I do think that he was. He felt that he needed a cause in his life, and um, <clears throat> the Kurdish cause seems from and all this violence is mediatized as well. It's important to remember it's heavily mediatized. You know, ISIS's atrocities the plight of the Kurdish people, it's all coming across our kind of our computer and television screens constantly. We're being bombarded with it. So the what looks like a black and white issue, and in my opinion, I think it is a pretty black and white issue. I think um, Australia is doing a good thing supporting the Kurdish cause against ISIS because it really is an existential threat to so many minority groups in the region. Um, but that's just my own personal opinion. But basically, I think many of the foreign fighters were fighting with ISIS um, are driven by this same notion of a struggle and trying to find a cause. And their cause, even though I would say it's a complete, totally flawed cause, is the restoration of the ancient caliphate. And, and it's interesting when you talk about human relationships, um, 
which is in this book. Uh, he had a relationship, uh, a girlfriend or a partner, and um, there's a notion of that relationship wasn't enough. He needed something more. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me of the Hurt Locker. Yeah. Did you see the Hurt Locker? Yeah. Where 100%. those men, and this this is quite common with our special forces guys, um, I've, I've had a bit to do with some special forces um, individuals, and it's very hard for them to integrate into normal life, normal mm-hmm. civilian life, mm-hmm. after being in special forces, because you run on adrenaline, don't you? Yeah, that's the right. The whole time. That's right. And and there's a there's that there's actually the, the that movie begins with the quote uh, from Chris Hedges, who is a kind of theologian and journalist, and he wrote, uh, "War is a force that gives us meaning, or because war is a drug." Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, the general idea is that. You know, for meaning-seeking individuals who are in societies or in a part of their life where perhaps they don't feel like they're particularly useful or they're not as useful as they could be, these great struggles um, can be really uh, can be really attractive. And when you're a part of something that's so big and that seems potentially so important as you know, saving a minority from extermination. Um, it can be it can be tricky to you read that to kind of mm. shopping at the supermarket. <laughs> That's right. You can't make a bigger contribution. Than yeah, that. exactly. That's so for sure. I think ultimately, I mean, there's a there's an element of kind of naive idealism which drives it. You could definitely argue, but at the same time, you know, can you blame them mm. for wanting to make something of yourself? It's I think it's mm. definitely a huge. And how do you? Um... I don't want to give too much away <laughs> in the novel, yeah. but how did you reconcile writing the opposing force? You just said it's black and white for yeah. you. So how did you um, manage to bring in such humanity on the dark side, if you like? Well, when I say it's black and white, I should say that I have a pretty kind of clear-cut view about who is right and who is wrong in the war. So, from my perspective, I think the Australian and the Kurdish side fighting against ISIS is the right cause. But I think no one should be under any illusions as much as it can even be useful to dehumanise the enemy sometimes. The enemy is still people. So, in and amongst the black, there are these shades of grey. And mm. it's those shades of grey, those those human shades that I really wanted to explore. Mm. Um, and so, that's what you've captured so well. Yeah, so... Uh, from, from well, there's two protagonists in the novel. One is an Australian foreign fighter who goes to Kurdistan, and I should say that don't give it any away. any any uh, any uh, kind of connection to people living or dead is purely coincidental. But there is definitely some influences, and having if you would dig in and read a little bit of my write, other writing publicly in the ABC, you could probably see where some of the influences come from. The second, the second protagonist is a Libyan boy who goes to Syria to fight with ISIS. So basically, uh, coming back to the word and the title, Mujahid, um, basically looking at the stories of two young men who have gone to the same environment to seek out a struggle. And we won't give away what happens in the end. No. Um, but it is a page turner and um, I just 
I think that um, I've predicted this will be a bestseller. Um, currently, uh, you're seeking a publisher, but I don't think there'll be any problems with that. <laughs> and um, I hope to interview you again uh, once the book has its publisher, has its home and has hit the market and uh, we'll just see how it all goes. So what have you got for the future? Yeah, so I mean, there's, uh, apart from this book. Yes, yep. yes, what's uh, next? Yeah, what's You're next? obviously uh, still writing. Yeah, obviously still writing. So um, I've got another, another novel in the works already, um, basically exploring similar themes, but different setting, different characters. Uh, so it's not yeah. a sequel, it's a totally... Not, not a sequel, a standalone, but you standalone. could probably put them in a kind of series, I suppose you could say. Yes, right. Um, Publishers love that. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. a good thing. Well, thank you very, very much, and um, I, uh, I look forward to talking to you many times over your illustrious writing career that I'm Thanks. predicting will be <laughs> will be definitely a winner uh, with the readers. So stay tuned and um, Aussie Writers will let you know when that book is released because it's, it's, it's a keeper. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks very much. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from www.aussiewriters.com.au and if you are a reader or a writer, then hop on over to our website and subscribe.